So um, hosting a panel um, as part of Art in Action and it's called Displacing Whiteness in the Arts. Um, and it's, I guess we're bringing together artists and researchers for, these, for this panel, all women, by the way, um, to talk about navigating sort of institutional sort of white spaces, colonial spaces, because I think, um, you know, we're going through a phase of, oh, you know, this is where, this is possibly the history, this is colonial, da-da-da-da, but what I'm interested in knowing is, like, how um, these women as sort of First Nation and women of colour find sites and create sites of resistance. Because if we're talking about a systemic structure, um, I'm interested in knowing and understanding what are those strategies, what are the thinking processes in creating those? Because there's a sense of power in attempting to create a site of resistance, whatever that looks like for their particular practice. So having that discussion, I think, um, is, a, is a really important one to have specifically with women, because that um, navigation process is, is different and is unique. And I think it's something that, um, you know, a lot of us are going through in very isolated ways. So to be able to have a discussion about it um, and a Q&A about it, um, I think is, is important. Yeah, so I had written an article for Arts Hub called Diversity, um, Diversity is a White Word. Uh, and uh, some of the staff members at Arts House had read it and, and then approached me about doing a panel around the themes um, of that article. And what we began to notice was, um, you know, in my practice as a, as a woman of colour, in creating sites of resistance, it was almost inevitable that we had to talk about privilege. Because if we're talking about, you know, multicultural, diverse, and that kind of stuff, we're actually talking about a power dynamic. And that gaze is very rarely turned the other way. And we can speak about it as practitioners, as researchers, and as artists. So creating that space to talk about it from that positionality, because if we're talking about power, we have to talk about this. Um, Tales of an Afronaut is a collection of stories, of personal narratives, um, kind of based around an introspective look at myself and my makeup. And I guess part of the inspiration was we're always talked about, or talked at, or talked through. And how do we, how do we not just like reclaim our own narratives, but how do we retell our own narratives in a way that feels whole? So if I wanna talk about race, how do I do it in a way that doesn't just like put me in a position where I'm either explaining, or I'm either retelling, or I could just talk about it using whatever I find comfortable and safe for me. So I could talk about a box of cereal, but like I know what I'm talking about. And that's kind of like all, like that stuff was important to me. And in this specific, um, in this specific show, I was looking at ideas around Afrofuturism and third space and like just an alternative to the current. I was kind of like, I thought, drained from always talking about stuff that was happening right now and I wanted to figure out a way to talk about it without like creating this other not like alter ego but like this other version 
of myself looking back at right now and how would I speak to myself in that way? Almost like, I don't know, I wanted to, I wanted to be able to think forward by looking back and imagine myself somewhere further down because like current climate at times makes it hard to imagine yourself somewhere other than the current climate. So yeah, I think like it was from that and then conversations with my parents and then my own journey, I guess, um, decolonizing, looking back at my heritage for the most part and like unpacking some of that. Yeah, I think that's kind of like where the idea was born. Yeah. I have a question. Did you, did, was it a process in and of itself to go from um, sort of this discursive ideas of what it is to be a category as identity, mm. which is colonially <coughs> informed? Was it, did it, was it a process in and of itself for this performance to let go of that, to look at the future, as you mentioned? Yeah. It was, and I think it still is. Yeah. Like, for the most part, I think this is my interrogation of that. Mm. It's like, like, I don't know, a big part was just, like, how do you actually do that? I remember, like, one time sitting down and being like, okay, you know, thinking of, like, an Afrofuture or an alternative way of being, right? How do I imagine it? And everything I was imagining at the time was either in response to or in reaction to, like, you know, colonization and how we live right now. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. I can't imagine a future outside of, like, a response <laughs> to right now. And I'm like, that's pretty, that's a shit place to be, if that kind of makes mm. sense. And then I was like, man, but I wouldn't want, like, my kids to have, I'd want them to imagine something I can't imagine, just because everything I'm able to imagine right now is tainted and, like, all the stuff I'm unlearning, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I think it was, like, it's a lot of that. It's not so much, like, you know, going from one to the other. It's, like, the process of it. And I think this is unpacking the process of it. Yeah. Whether, like, my conclusion is me getting there to be able to speak from an Afrofuturist perspective or just, like, the battle to try to imagine <laughs> that, looking back. Yeah. Yeah. I find that a consistent challenge yeah. as well because, like, the unpacking to get to that point also requires a specific context and mm. space. Like, I, I feel like when I'm often approached to do performance-based things, it is in a very curated context that to yeah. do so would actually be counterproductive and possibly, and possibly unsafe. So, yeah. I don't know where I'm going with this, but yeah. I guess were those some of the concerns? It was, yeah. especially like um, in this particular space, because like in the past, most of the performances I've curated or even like created and been a part of have always been quite specific to like you know a particular audience, because like I really have this thing where I don't want to appease to whiteness, and like I want to do something that can make people of color, primarily like black folk, feel good about ourselves. Whatever way that may mean. Because sometimes for me growing up, feeling good about myself was just seeing myself. You know what I mean? And then like I'm like, if I could go even one step further and not just like see myself in a particular space, but like 
you know, see myself in a way that's like, that builds me or like that creates space for me to be able to imagine myself being in that space. So like almost like the way I think about it is being on a stage that I can create a path or a doorway. How do you leave that doorway open behind you for other people that might look like you or like be a part of you to be able to come through? And then how do you do that on the stage? How do you be like, yo, I'm not here to do this so I can be the one that did it. I'm here to do this. So you can either try to like do it better than me or like create something mm. like let this be like an opportunity for you to see that we can do this. Mm. We are here. You know what I mean? Like that. that's my form of resistance, I guess, yeah. in, in a way. Yeah. So I think that's kind of, yeah. I don't even know if that answers. <laughs> yeah, it does. And I think that's part of, like, you know, that displacing whiteness is part of that. Yeah. And it's uh, displacing whiteness is part of that, and it's the process um, of... I, I just feel like all these things are sort of processes and, and practices. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that's, that's one of the hardest challenges we'll probably yeah. face. I agree. Yeah. And... <laughs> How do you, yeah, I think like another massive question I had for a while is like, how do you decenter whiteness in a whiteness institution? <laughs> and exactly. like recenter like yourself or whatever yeah. in that space, knowing full well it's a curated space that yeah. already has certain restrictions attached to it long before you even entered that space. Exactly. So yeah. that, that, that also brings to mind like questions about whether at all displacing it is um, you still have to, in these institutionally white spaces, you still have to um, gesture towards it in order to ignore it. Does that make sense? Like, because it, it, is so, it is so omnipresent, yet very, very physically oppressive at the same time. Um, and that's why I find, like, even in my own sort of performance practice, I feel like I haven't got to that what I call like the re-emergence phase, which is the mm. phase where we create, like something is created without referencing sort of colonial constructs. And maybe it's a, you know, generation long process, but, you know, still in my practice, when I, when I look at a context of a situation, certain decisions are calibrated differently. So when I write a performance piece, for example, I, I call it like the anti-narrative play because it can't be a typical narrative because people of colour put in typical narrative formats is actually counterproductive, so it doesn't become a site of resistance. So, but then you have to do like the double, triple translation in your own head around, around those yeah. kind of things, and it's exhausting at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like you have to create narratives within narratives within narratives. Yeah. So like just get one point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like so. That some of the techniques I use is anti-character as well. Like I feel like I can't, in a theatre sense, I can't take my character through an entire theatrical process mm. um, because it does become that sort of paid narrative. Yeah. You can't, you can't take your story and put it in a construct that already exists yeah. in this context. So how do you create sort of a different set of what we would call dramaturgy or a different way of, of presenting that? So uh, I guess my question. I have a question. <laughs> well, did it challenge some of the techniques in your practice? It did. Yeah. Especially because spoken word poetry is a very, for me at least, it's a very, like, 
personal thing, and it's like you can't det- well I can't detach myself from my work. I only speak from myself, if that makes sense. But then, like, how do you speak from yourself, yet not succumb to falling down the same narrative of like, you know, because like we've had a conversation about this, but like we have stories within us, especially from our types of backgrounds, that are like juicy right now. And it's like, how do you how do you say it without falling into that like this is how they want to hear it or whatever. And like for me, in the past I've used silences. I think like a lot of silences. I'm kinda like, okay, I'm gonna present to you the blueprint and you can work out the rest in your head. But like if the blueprint is where I feel I am right now and I can take what comes from that, then cool. That's it. I don't feel like I have to build the house for you. It's just this is it right now. Mm. Maybe 10 years later, I feel like, okay, maybe I want to put a window here and do that. But like, I'm always like, I only say poems that I feel like I'm okay with taking in what it's going to come with at the time. If I'm not there yet, then I'm not going to. And like, even though like, it's still kind of tricky because, you know, you really, it, it sucks that you really have to channel the narrative that comes out of it but it's kind of like it's also important so that like you can be seen as like a for me I can be seen like as a a whole human being worthy of all types of emotions worthy of all types of narratives and not just one you know I don't want to be you know like the black artist I want to be the artist who's black that just does dope poetry you know what I mean and it's kind of like and I want to be able to talk about lots of things without being tied down to one thing because I know that's not just placed on me. It's going to be placed on every other black artist, every other person of color that comes through <laughs> and does, you know, similar work or whatever because that's what's expected of us. And I, and I hate that expectation. I'm kind of like, no, who, 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 who chose that? Why? <laughs> you know, why we can't create our own? Like, I'm really, like, resistant to that or whatever. Mm. So... Yeah, and I don't know how it's going to look like to anybody outside of myself yet because it's only me who knows what's coming. But I'm, I'm curious to see how it's responded to. Yeah. Is it, like, do you have to work hard to stop yourself from falling into these narratives that just, it's, it's like they're so omnipresent that they're mm. almost invisible? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's mm. like sticky tape like yeah. you said, it's there but you, it, yeah. it's just so do you have to think about it all the time no like, like just when you when you're putting something together when you're putting a yeah. work together do you find that because of that yeah these narratives mm. are yeah. there that because it's almost like a default I suppose yeah. that you have to consciously well, I, avoid or go outside them yeah. that, that makes sense mm. I think I think it varies like for me who's probably a lot more relatively new, my audience, for the most part, has been, like, folk of color (laughs) or black folk. And for the most part, it's like, I don't feel like I have to change much in those particular situations because it's like, there's no explanation needed. (laughs) And, like, when I have to do it sometimes, it's just like I have to add on a bit more. 
And when I do it for like bigger audiences or whatever, um, so far, things that I've created is just being people of color on stage. So that itself means something. And like how we look after each other means something because how our stories come, come out for us only matters to us. <laughs> you know, how it's received is cool. But when you're by yourself, <laughs> it's a whole different ball game because you're thinking of everything and everyone around. And like, I think like from how I know Tanya, she's been in a lot of situations, <laughs> you know, like that. And I feel like I've been fortunate <laughs> in the sense that like I have been able to occupy a lot of POC spaces. And I think this is probably my first major space where it's, it's not like that. Because <laughs> mm. even when I have done like what I call like white shows, it's been all like black and brown folk on stage. So I felt good the whole time anyway. And I'm like, they're fortunate to be listening to us. But like the fact that I have the ability to have that perspective, I also understand as a privilege in itself that not everybody's afforded. So I'm really aware of that. And I'm also really conscious of those of us in the forefront of the battle, <laughs> as I call it, that got to do all this work to allow people like me to be in these spaces, to have an all POC, you know, um, cast or whatever. And, like, I know a lot of the work Tanya does with this. So, like, you know, and, like, so much respect for that because it's, it's a battle. And even just talking about it and hearing it from her, I'm always like, man, you know, all I got to worry about is three shows in July, <laughs> and I'm good. I was like, when we used to have discussions, right, yeah. I was like, damn, that would be so awesome to have, like, an all-pop, like, audience. So I'm, I'm uh, like, a researcher as well, so I've been exposed to a lot of um, uh, academic white spaces um, as a researcher artist. And, yeah, it's... It's kind of like I don't have the privilege not to think about it. You have to. Mm. And that's why a lot, of, a lot of my work has been sort of, it hasn't been personal very specifically because it needed to be very, very separate. And I'm talking not just a centimetre away from my soul and myself. I'm talking like metres and kilometres away. Like it was that space and then it was space with friends, family and RISE, which is another organisation I work for. So, but that, you know, that is imposed, but then there's also ways that needed to be, I needed to find ways to survive it as well. And I know that lots of people are going through a similar struggle as well. So it, I didn't have a choice not to think about it, if that makes sense, because that would be a privilege in and of itself. So, um, yeah, I don't know, chain of thought. Um, I think, like, that mm. point you touched on, maybe if you wanted to elaborate yeah. a bit, like, it's actually dangerous not to be able to think about it in that particular space for, like, mm. a lot of varying reasons, and I think, you know... Yeah. It is... It's dangerous not to think about it in that way because then you become... Um, what, what, you, what I call, it, like, a mascot. You become a mascot, um, and... You know, it's very, very easy to fall into that as well. So having that space became like a self-protection as well as a strategy. Um, and like in a sense, like 
thinking and writing academically became <clears throat> almost a framework and a strategy to not talk about it, if that makes sense. And then it, when it became sort of a bit more, uh, I guess, socially acceptable to talk about some of these things as an as a in-vogue thing, um, that's when suddenly the worlds began to come together without necessarily consciously wanting them to be together. Like, so suddenly certain very institutionally white spaces were like, oh, you know, oh, I didn't know this particular X, or Y, and Z about your history. Can you actually speak about that? And I was like, well, why weren't you interested in that five years ago? <laughs> you know? It's kind of, you see very, you see how um, the arts industry, the research industry is very parasitic mm -hmm. when it comes to these stories and narratives. And what, what I talk about is that it becomes you know, fashion, the next thing and the next thing, but what actually, what actually changes within that? They, they take you, they absorb you, they chuck you out. That's essentially what happens. So that's why I think it's so important to talk about creating different constructs or creating different conventions of practice, whatever practice it is, to make those <coughs> situations exist and happen in a more ongoing, long-term way. Because it's gonna keep happening. We've seen it in history. Yeah, and I think for me, just to add on to like what Tanya was saying, it's, it's a form of like self-preservation and survival to just be in it and to be able to like really think on it because you're like, okay, not only do I have to make it in this setting, but it's like there's a lot that weighs on you that like everybody else outside yeah. doesn't see. And yeah. it's like not only do I have to survive for myself, but I have to survive for my people. Mm. <laughs> and I have to survive for this and like... I'm this person at this forefront carrying all this weight that nobody else sees yeah. but me at the time or whatever. Because I remember just, like, going back to touch on, like, um, the research. And, like, for me, seeing a woman of color in research was mind-blowing. And it's as big as, like, it was actually a huge part of the decision of why I decided to actually go back to university. Because that's how important it is when you're invisible in the space it makes you not want to be there <laughs> you know because you know some of us it's not all of us that can do what tanya's done <laughs> and be able to survive in that way for some of us it's just too much and it's mm -hmm. like i'd rather just like live because like fighting is tiring <laughs> it really is and it's fighting in every form and it's kind of like it's just easier to just exist outside of this outside of being exposed to this, or it's like seeing someone battle in that way and then being like, oh, okay, you know, it makes it a little bit easier. Well, it made it easier for me, but like that's a lot of work that's gone into that for years or whatever. And I think like, yeah, I just really want to touch on like, it's a real vital form of self-preservation yeah. and survival as well. But also having like someone else in the room when you are in that space that you can make eye contact yeah. with and go, oh my gosh, it's not just us going crazy. <laughs> it makes a difference when you're like the only two or three people walking into yeah. those massive spaces yeah. with centuries of history, apparently. Like, it's, it's a lot, you know? You kind of feel like you're walking in with like... Yeah. <laughs> I'm making a gesture, like a fighting gesture, guys. <laughs> and it really is... It becomes physicalized, and I didn't actually realize it till I was in another space where I was considered white. It was out of the Australian context. And so 
just purely aesthetically speaking, I was considered white. And then I realised that my body went from like, I'm just so used to going into arts meetings in a fighting stance, essentially. And then suddenly when I was considered differently in this other context, I was like, what? My whole like body became like a little bit more relaxed and it made me conscious of how I actually am holding so much tension in everyday, everyday life, you know? Um, and... Like the first time I, I was able to do a keynote um, to basically an all people of colour audience was a Women of the World conference, which was only, what, the start of this year. And it was, it was the hardest talk I've had to do purely because everything else just like, I was like, okay, we're talking straight up. And so I, I, I shared a lot of like, personal narratives, which actually became, it was very difficult. So my whole body was fighting that as well. But the difference between that was what Wani was saying, like holding each other in that space. Afterwards, I literally felt like sobbing and like I was like pretty much like I was sleep deprived and I was like, I, I could have literally physically fallen to the ground, but people came and hugged me afterwards. And that's the difference. When you go out of an institutionally white space, that doesn't happen. And when it does, sometimes it's confusing. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> patronizing. Yeah, you're not sure what's happening at the time. Just because sometimes, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Mm. What does belonging mean to you, Tanya? <laughs> and when do you feel it most strongly? Okay, I think... I think, first of all our idea of belonging becomes a very imperialistic, nationalist idea of what it means to belong. So what I found growing up is that context A of Australia and context B of Latin America, whatever it is, whatever it is, um, I didn't necessarily fit in any of those. But that's because the construct of those are colonial constructs in and of themselves. So they weren't going to fit to people who actually move in the in-between spaces. So if, if anything, the only time that I actually felt a sense of connection was working in the community at RICE. So RICE is um, refugee, uh, asylum seekers and ex-detainee um, organisation. And that's, so we look at that as an example. It's not people from X country, Y country. It's actually what brings us together is a particular experience of struggle. So we, there's different languages, there's different, you know. And so our construct of what it means to belong is taken away from the idea of sedimentary ideas. And it's like, what is that experience that brings us together? What is the struggle that we're facing together here now? And how can we build on that? So for me, the in-between is the, is the sense of belonging, the diasporic nature of moving in that space. And it's the border think. It's the it's a diasporic consciousness that actually is that sense. Yeah, I, I agree. I think like I'm the same as well. The place I feel I fit in most, or even the notion of belonging outside of like colonial gaze and views on that kind of identity is the in-between space as well. Like the diaspora, the the collective, I guess, I fit in places where like there's a collective struggle of 
people that kind of don't fit in spaces. So, like, for me as well, the f one of the first times I can remember was actually at Rise. And, like, um, during one of the conversations, um, we got a phone call. And being able to, like, speak in languages, in not just languages, but particular dialects and accents that, like, you've always been brought up to think are completely useless and mean nothing to the world. Mm -hmm. And that being something really valued and regarded and being talked to and not talked at. <laughs> and then being, like, just being with, like, folk around you that just really hold you and get you, I think that was, like, one of the biggest switches for me, being in an actual space where, like, not only particular aspects of your skills like are valued but you entirely mm. are valued as a being that was pretty special and I think my other first real connections to belonging in that way was um, with the collective I first got into when I first moved to Melbourne which was still nomads and it was my first time being around other like black creatives who were like just some of the most incredible minds I've ever come across that really challenged me um, to to really think outside of myself, to be able to see myself. And that was important. And it kind of started my journey of unlearning and unpacking and realizing that like you can't fit in the in-between because that's a whole nother space in itself or whatever. And yeah. Yeah, and I think the politicized in-between, so we're, we're talking that collective thinking and struggle that is very socially, politically aware. Mm -hmm. So understanding an existence in a particular space yeah. is in itself a result of this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I, I mentioned this in the Women of the World Conference as well, like for us, it's, the, it's like the difference between the label of something like refugee or this particular artist and something that is refugee-ness, something that is navigational, it's contemporary, it's informed in every single way. Does that make sense? Like it's, that's how you move away from these labels and talk about something that is almost like a politicised strategy, not a political strategy, politicised mm. strategy. It was really different. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, when we talk about our arts practice and we talk about, you know, X and Y performance that we do, I think people go, oh, you know, that's fantastic, look at that. But it's like what we're talking about here today, Wani and I, is those daily moments are the ones that also need to be valued to get to that stage in and of itself. What are those daily struggles? And that's the difference between being in spaces like Rise and being in other spaces. I think people just forget how these daily things manifest at every single moment. And that's what needs to be, needs to be valued. Not, not just, you know, at the end of a performance going, you know, fantastic, yeah. we saw the outcome, why, and they worked on it for seven days, nine to five. It's like, actually, that's a lifelong, that's a generational, that's a historic yeah. battle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That comes from a super deep place. Um, and, like, one last thing, just, like, going back on the whole um, idea of belonging, I think the more, I guess, I've matured in knowledge is I've come to a place of understanding belonging as a holistic practice. Like, thinking back to w one of the first times I really felt a connection to the space I'm currently in was actually when um, I went to Shepparton with my friend um, Neil Morris, and he performed the Welcome to Country in a way I'd never, ever felt. And I felt really welcome mm -hmm. for the first time. But, like, it was a lot deeper than just, like, a connection 
to like a body, a physical body, it was like with the land, with the, you know, ancestors, with the spirits that move among us. And like that stuff is really important to me in terms of like finding a space to belong. And you feel covered by those who've come before you. Mm. You know what I mean? And that stuff's like real deep to me in a real just like holistic sense. Cause like, I don't believe like there's, I don't believe, I believe you exist in many different layers and they're all just as valuable as each other. And my people have always believed you exist in connection and like with all of those things at the same time and they can coexist. There are this whole notion of binary or whatever mm. to me is BS. And it's kind of like that was special. And like, you know, connecting with people who are connected to one land, mm. that's special because it makes me better understand self and whatever. And I think like those ideas are important as well. Yeah. If y'all ain't already bought tickets to Tanya's show, Y'all can come check it out. It's going to be the bomb. There are some amazing speakers, not including myself. (laughs) If you don't already already follow her, follow her on every (laughs) social media. Read all her stuff. She's a bomb. (laughs) How about your spreaking your show? What's that? How about spreaking your show? Me? Oh, yeah. Come to my show too. (laughs) It'll be cool. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I've been real blessed to get to know Tanya along this journey. And it's kind of like, I really admire her craft, her person, and like her hustle. And I think it's pretty impressive. So, in my eyes, if y'all don't come, you're kind of <laughs> dumb, but like, you know. That's the first time it's been called a hustle. I love it. <laughs> it's a hustle. Like. <laughs> yeah. I think it's special. It's like sometimes you don't know what you have until you don't have it no more. And I think like Melbourne is pretty blessed to have like people like her. Like real talk. So yeah, I, I ain't just gassing. No, I'm being <laughs> dead, so. And anybody that knows her knows her. It's not a gas. So. <laughs> <laughs> the five people that know me. <laughs> So I've I've also had the pleasure of knowing um, Wani for a couple of years now, and everything everything he does, from writing to research to practice, and even how he sort of holds a space and people around him, is very unique. And all those all those values and all those beliefs come up in every single moment in what he does in his in his work and in particular in his artistry, which I think most people get an opportunity to see. Yeah. Um, and I know that this is this is a really important one for him, and I think it's an important one for the types of conversations we're trying to have here um, in Australia. And I, I see Wani as a forefront of that as well. I'm really pushing to have these kind of conversations and pushing beyond beyond identity politics, which actually, you know, falls into the same dynamic it, it, it really does. Over time, it becomes disposable voices. So I can see him and, you know, I can see him building on that movement. And I think this in particular um, is, is a really special show for himself, but also in pushing that conversation. Um, and this is, this is a world premiere. And I think the problem with, the problem with Australia is 
we always look outside. We're like, where is that, you know, in the UK? Where can I find that in the US? Even if it's people of colour, you know, we have the talent, we have the intellect, we have the people here to have these type of conversations in the particular nuances and context of here, something that they can't do in the, even in the diasporic US context or the UK context. And I think, you know, these voices are not valued and these voices are actually what needs to sort of be supported and exposed. This is, this is where it's happening. We don't have to look outside. We can take influences from outside, but that's been a, since, you know, since invasion, that's been the habit of constructed Australia saying, where can we go and find this in A or B? And I still see that dynamic now, even with people of colour. So, you know, this one is one of those. This is, this is where it's happening. He's a forefronter. He's, he's pushing it as well. And it's kind of like, I'm a bit of the, I'm the old generation. So it's a bit like the baton, <laughs> you know, you guys run, go. <laughs> Jump out of a plane. <laughs> so I, this is, this is a world premiere for Australia and for this kind of stuff. And this is the type of work that people, you know, generations from now are going to be doing PhDs on, they're going to be like, oh, who, who was X and Y artist that was pushing this and how can we build on that? So it's happening now. History is happening now. <laughs> We're all in tears now. <laughs> I'm happy with that. No, I'm happy. it's all good. <laughs>